Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 23, Erika Keswin, founder of The Spaghetti Project. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, everyone. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Do you have a love-hate relationship with technology? We all do to a certain extent, don't we? Being plugged, so to speak, affords us so many wonderful opportunities, flexibility, and so on. But on the other hand, it can keep us hooked to the point that we're just not connecting as human beings. As my guest on the show says, left to our own devices, we're not connecting. I have Erica Keswin on Jewish Latin Princess. Erica is the founder of the Spaghetti Project, a platform devoted to sharing the science and stories of relationships at work. She is a workplace strategist who has worked for the past 20 years with some of the most iconic brands in the world as a consultant, speaker, writer, and professional dot connector. Her forthcoming book, Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That is Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World, will be published in the fall of 2018. I'm so excited for that one, and I'm, we're so lucky to have Erica on the show now. In the meantime, Erica's work and insights can be read and seen in varied media outlets from Huffington Post, Harvard Business Review, O Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, Elevate Network, Mogul, and Conscious Company. I find the topic fascinating and so relevant. My family and I unplugged for 25 hours every week for Shabbat and of course for Jewish holidays as well. But still, the use of technology is something inevitable in today's world. And as Erica will tell us today, we're still kind of in diapers when it comes to knowing how to manage all this new technology. In her words, it's the Wild West. We can all use Erica's wisdom, business owners, especially in today's workplace, because we have to manage millennials. And guess what? Their expectations are very different from what ours were back when we were younger. Uh, As parents, there's much to learn here. And of course, as spouses, time to learn how to be more intentional about how we relate with technology and bring back the human to our work. Here's Erica Keswin. Erica Keswin, so great to connect with you. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you so much. Been a lot of back and forth, so I'm excited to uh, finally be here. I know, and I'm catching you on vacation, right? You are catching me on vacation, but that is okay. Okay, so I'm forcing you to be plugged to technology, which you maybe you don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Erica. Okay, you- well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I, I did just took, I, I mean, we're, I do just take a vacation um, away from where I am right now with my kids and, and we were off of technology. So I'm feeling refreshed and, and ready to dive back in. Very nice. So that was intentional that you, you decided to take, like you really unplugged, you guys all unplugged. Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting is, um, you know, let one of the, the, the things that I often say is left to our own devices. We're not connecting. And I think about that a lot in different aspects of my life, whether it's personally, professionally, or even, 
the kinds of vacations that I choose. Uh, and so, especially with three teenagers. So the vacation I chose this year, and I'll be, I'll forward it to, I'm going to be writing an article that will come out next week, uh-huh. was with a company called, called Backroads. And it's a very active kind of vacation where we're biking and hiking. And the feeling is, is that if we're biking three to four hours a day, it's very hard to, I'm sure some people try to do it, it's not so smart, but, um, you know, to bike and text. So just by the design of the vacation, oh, you know, I'm not it. saying to my kids, okay, we're all putting our phones away, but by design, this is the type of trip where you're connecting with other people, you're connecting with nature, and there's even certain days where there's no cell service. I so we just got back it. from that. And, um, you know, I, I think that left to our own devices, we're not connecting, and, and we need to be more intentional in all aspects of our lives to figure out ways to to get away from it. I love it. And this is why I brought you here to teach us all about this, because it is such a relevant topic to all of us, this whole interaction between humans and technology. And you are an expert at this. And you before you even started um, researching this, you already had a career in management consultant, human resources, and so on. And I want to set the stage up for listeners a little bit and go back to what brought you to specifically, um, I guess, um, take on a, a, a research, start, start looking into this relationship between how we interact with technology. What brought you to that in your sure. career? So I have spent about 20 plus years in the human capital space. And I define that as helping companies improve their performance through people. Uh-huh. So I worked in executive recruiting, you know, matching great people with jobs, coaching, designing management development programs, compensation programs, so all the different aspects of, of people in an organization. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about those different jobs, one of the common threads were that they were all about connecting with people in the workplace. And as technology started becoming more and more prevalent, I began to see a real shift. You know, some good, some not so good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, would, I began to see things like people choosing to call into meetings from down the, down the hall and foregoing the opportunity to connect in person. People sending an email when a call was probably a better choice. Right. And less and less people standing around the water cooler and I, I wondered to myself, I've always been a connector. I'd say that's the one word if you ask 10 people that have known me my whole life. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy connecting with people and, and connecting people with each other, really for the sake of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I began to wonder to myself and, and out loud, what impact is this, was this technology having on people personally in business and also on the bottom line? And so that's really where my journey began. And I, be, I started to, to look into that in a more formal way. And then, and then that led you to create your own company, the Spaghetti Project, right? Yeah. So what happened was, as I was researching why people wanted to call into meetings from down the hall, which again, <laughs> seems like something so foreign to me, right. I came across a study out of Cornell University, uh-huh. where the professor looked at what differentiates performance of one group of firefighters versus another. And the reason why he studied firefighters was that his father was a firefighter. So those were the people that that he knew. Uh And so what he found was that the firefighters who were truly dedicated to that longstanding tradition of the firehouse meal 
actually correlated with higher levels of performance and those firefighters actually saved more lives. Mm. And, you know, I think intuitively many of us understand that, but now there was actual data and science to back it up. Mm -hmm. And when you think about firefighters and look at the old photos of, of vintage firefighters or watch television shows like Chicago Fire, you know, the go-to meal, the stereotypical meal for many firefighters is spaghetti and meatballs. Mm. And that's why I decided to call my, my research and my consulting work in this area the Spaghetti Project. Very nice. So, so what does the Spaghetti Project specifically do? You consult companies. Right. So the Spaghetti Project, when we think about left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Mm -hmm. The whole idea behind the Spaghetti Project is to talk to people and it's a platform that shares the science and stories behind connection at work. Mm -hmm. So I go into companies, I bring people together, also in, in different community groups to raise an awareness and share with them the data and some of the studies behind why we're not connecting and then give people the tools to bring connection back to the workplace. And, and what we find at the end of the day is when you do connect, it, it's good for people and it's great for business. So it really is a win-win. Mm -hmm. And I just worry that unless we're intentional, you know, going back to the conversation about how, you know, the kind of vacation you take, it often just doesn't happen. It that does. we need to curate connection in a very different way than we used to because we have a lot more distractions. Right, right. And so what would be some of those tools that would be helpful for companies to incorporate? In, you know, you mentioned before, like, and, and we've all fallen into that trap. Oh, some people are better than others that, you know, just send an email, really a, a phone call is better, just get up from your cubicle and walk down the hall or whatever it might be. So what are some of these tools that you're teaching companies to incorporate? Sure, I break it down into what I call these, the three P's. Mm -hmm. One is that we need to pri prioritize relationships. So uh -huh. the first P is prioritize. The second is position, and I'll, I'll go through each one of these, but how do we position technology to, to strengthen relationship and, the, and then also put it in its place, really finding that sweet spot. And then the third is developing protocols, really developing rules of the road. Uh -huh. So the first, um, in terms of prioritizing relationships, I often ask groups that I'm working with a very simple but impactful question, which is, does your calendar reflect your value? Uh -huh. And it really makes people stop in their tracks and think about how they're spending their time and what impact that's having. Because I think we've all fallen um, to the, you know, to the trap of, we, you know, we look up and four hours have gone by and we've sent out 70 emails, you know, or we've been on social media but we haven't moved our business forward. We haven't right. reached out and connected with that important client. We haven't closed the deal. Right. And so I think sometimes we need to take a step back and really do our own individual mapping exercise of what our priorities are. Right. right. The second part is, is, is about positioning. And this one I think is, is something that, that any listener can take away and think about how this manifests in, in their own lives. How do we position technology to strengthen relationships, but then how do we also put it in its place? Mm. And the, the other, the, the way that I like to describe this is matching the message to the medium. So when we think about communication along a continuum, on the one end, we have, let's say, instant message, text, email, picking up the phone, walking down the hall, you know, or flying from Houston to New York to connect with an important client. And as we all know, 
all of those mediums are not created equal. Right. But what I worry about and, and what I see, and this is not just with millennials, this is with every generation, many of us are defaulting to this technological end of that communication spectrum. And what I urge people to do, and in the sessions, really stop and pause and share examples of where they've made a good choice along this continuum or a not so good choice, is pause and be strategic. What are you trying to achieve in this communication? And is, is the right medium is it in, in email? Or are you dealing with a very sticky employee relations issue? Or do you really want to close the deal? If that's the case, maybe you should push yourself to, quote unquote, move up the food chain mm -hmm. and pick a more impactful me medium. Mm -hmm. So that's the second part is to really think about how you're positioning technology. And the third is creating protocols. And one of the things that I, I talk about is when I, when I traveled the country and began to interview people all over about how they were managing technology in their lives, the image that kept coming up over and over in my head was that this is the wild west. You know, you're from Texas, so yeah. you can relate to that. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, everyone's out there in their cowboy hats. Like this, this, this stuff is new. We only recently, like a month ago, had the 10 year anniversary of the iPhone. Yeah, it's, it's, so... I mean, this is not right. Yeah. It, it's still so new. And so what I urge people to do is think about creating protocols. Maybe it's when you have a meeting in your company that everybody plugs in their phone before they come into the meeting so that you can actually focus on relationships with people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Netflix is a great, is an example of a company that in some of their meetings has done a really great job with that. Some companies are dealing with an issue where people don't take enough vacation because they don't want to come back to 10,000 emails. So the Huffington Post and a company and Daimler mm. has a has a tool where you go on vacation and you set up your out of office and it basically says that I'm on vacation. Your this email that you just sent me is going to be deleted. I'm back on September third and please send me an email on September third. Oh, that so is people super in those cool. Companies, right? The people in those companies come back and they don't have any emails. And so we just need to get creative and help employees in our companies manage these issues. That is super cool. You know, you're making me think that you're right. This is all very super new. Like I'm going back to my days in grad school and I'm not even that old. And, um, you know, we weren't having these conversations. Are you working with MBA programs, teaching workshops on this stuff, perhaps to students? You should. <laughs> um, in, well, yeah. I mean, in terms of yeah, some of this is starting in, in school and I, and you know, what, People need to almost relearn. Right. I mean, there's a woman called the phone lady where she literally teaches people how to talk on the phone. Oh my so if you goodness. go back to positioning technology and you say, you know what, you really should pick up the phone. Many people look like a deer in the headlights. They're okay in person and they're certainly fine sending an email, but they don't know what to do with themselves on the phone. Wow. And so, yeah, in many cases, this is a back to basics. Let's make sure that we have these, human skills, because at least right now in 2017, we still need them. We definitely, definitely need them. And um, something that came as I was listening to you is, 
managing people is the most important, yet I often find it's the hardest part of business. I often discuss this with my husband, who's also an entrepreneur, and you know, the numbers, the strategy, all the dry stuff is so much easier compared to the complexity of managing people and keeping uh, your your employees happy and thriving and you know really moving forward for the you know so that the bottom line gets impacted positively and everybody's really um doing being the best they can be and some people are definitely naturally better at others and when we go um um, you know, when we go to grad school or whatever, business school, I know there's things that we, we learn. I remember, you know, from day one, you're forced to work on a team. And, but I, 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 my question is, I remember that this type of interaction almost felt forced and not authentic. And even when I was in corporate America, when I was forced to interact on a social basis with these people, it really felt not authentic. So, um, do you agree with that? And is that changing in companies? Like in what ways are we doing it better? Because um, so that it feels more genuine. So first of all, I, I agree. I think managing people is one of the most challenging parts of any job. I don't think that that has changed. But what I do think has changed is the importance of doing it well. Yeah. It's become even more important. More important. Yeah. Um, more important now than ever. Uh -huh. And, you know, some of the data is, is similar. Um, you know, nine out of 10 people leave their manager. They tend not to leave the company. Uh -huh. And what has become even a bigger issue is that millennials want to have a strong relationship with their manager. They right. want to feel connected to the larger purpose of the organization. And right. it's up to the managers to make to help them make that connection. So, for example, the millennial is working on a certain piece. The manager, if he or she is doing a good job, needs to help that person connect the dots. Because, you know, in any entry level, even mid-level role, sometimes it's hard to see the end goal. Yes. And millennials, if they don't feel that, they will leave. They're out. But they want to be known. They want to be appreciated by their manager and by their company. So the stakes are even higher for, for managers to do this well. And so that's, that's the piece that has changed. I don't think it's, it's still really challenging, mm -hmm. but in this job market, it is directly correlated with a company's ability to attract and retain top talent. So managers need to make, make it a priority, and that needs to, to start at the top. Now, when you, when you talk about making this feel more authentic, the companies that, the companies that do this the best, mm -hmm. I find, are ones where they know their mission and they know their values mm -hmm. and the rest of their people processes are aligned with those values. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, you know what, you, you know what you stand for. And so it's not lip service. It's, it's, this is who we are. And this is why we're recruiting certain types of people for our business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, this is how and why we're training people and developing people and the alignment of all of those processes around the vision and the mission and the values, if you can, it, you know, it's not rocket science, but it takes a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. it, it becomes the authenticity is, is, is you'll find that it is baked into the company from the beginning. And it's just easier to do. Because they've, they've prioritized relationships from the get go. It's somewhere ingrained into their mission, right? And, and they've defined it. They've defined what, 
what it means. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. What does right. it look like? Um, you know, wh- one example, I went to this list, and they have four very clear corporate values. Uh huh. And they and it's they do such a great job. I mean, even in terms of how their offices are designed, are correlated with their values. So, for example, one of their values is create fearlessly, which I happen to love that mm-hmm. that value. But what they say, they think about if you need to create fearlessly, when you think about your office space, you better make sure that there's some places for employees to go to be able to create fearlessly. You know, one of their other values is uplift others. And so when they think about the, the drivers and what they're going to, what kinds of tools they put in place, you know, whether it's in at Lyft, but oftentimes the, the passengers are invited to sit in the front seat or, mm-hmm. and, and they, and that, and, and they use a lot of storytelling as a way to bring that authenticity front and center. Oh, I want to touch on that storytelling. Tell me, how do they use it? I know that you've talked about this before and, and the importance of this concept of, of storytelling, um, as a, as a tool for companies to establish this more human workplace. So what, why is it so important? And you said Lyft is doing a well. Give us some examples. So, um, I find that, that, you know, storytelling, if you're telling a true story about a customer or an employee uh-huh. and how that person impacted someone in your company, it's hard not to feel authentic. I mean, you're telling a real story. Right. And I think the companies that are doing this well are using technology to share those stories, uh-huh. doing it in their all hands meetings, you know, putting it on their website. So there's right. many different ways to share these stories and, 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 and also show how, a company's values are aligned and how their employees are empowered to live their values. Right. So um, a story that, that jumps off the top of my head is, is from Lyft, where it was Valentine's Day a couple of years ago, and a woman got into a Lyft car, and the driver said to her, Happy Valentine's Day, and she started crying. She obviously seemed very upset. And instead of just focusing on getting the passenger to the next destination so the driver could pick up the next ride, Again, one of their important values is uplift others. Uh, and that uh, is, is really driven, you know, no pun intended, but driven home to the, to the employees. Right. So the driver pulled, pulled over, was clearly not focused on the meter, talked to this woman, you know, listened, heard what was going on in her life, and then ultimately dropped her at her destination. A couple weeks later, a friend of the passenger emailed the CEO and said, I just want you to know your driver saved my friend's life. She really was on the verge of potentially taking her own life. And your driver saved her by, by listening and, and having a real conversation and, and basically uplifting her. So that story could have stayed just between the person who had contacted the CEO and the, and the, and the CEO himself. Mm-hmm. But instead, at their all-hands meeting, um, Lyft celebrates every at every all hands meeting one driver and one back office employee who has exhibited one of their company values. Mm-hmm. And so instead of that story staying within two people, the entire company heard about it, and this driver was was celebrated. Right. And so you know that's just a way to to bring these values alive. Which going back to your challenge, your question about managing people and millennials. That's what this, these next generations of workers 
want to see and feel. Yes, that they're really having an impact in the world. That the, what Correct. they're out there exactly. doing is changing people's lives. You might not think that by driving a lift car, you could actually affect a person's life. Well, here you go. This is how we do it, people. It's, uh... Right. And, and we as the managers are helping you connect the dots because, you know, the drivers are on the front lines. But let's say you work in accounting. Mm-hmm. Like you're not necessarily seeing it and feeling it. But if you can hear these stories and feel part of something yes. bigger, right? that then leads to you know, real retention of employees, which, which has huge bottom line implications. Exactly, exactly. You're part of this company, you you feel part of something greater. I mean, yeah, right. Awesome. So, so awesome. When you talked about um, the three P's, and you mentioned, does your calendar reflect your values? I think that's challenging for everyone, but um, probably a lot more for um, small business owners, solopreneurs, freelancers, you know, we get sucked behind our computer and um, between social media and marketing, you know, like you said before, have I closed a deal? Have I e- emailed the, the next lead that I had? Have I picked up the phone and called them? Or even worse, like sometimes I, I realize I didn't talk to a single human being like, the, the you know, I send bills out, but I didn't call any. I didn't talk to a human being till four o'clock when my kids come home from school. What, what can we do how do we do it better what could we be doing so i actually held a spaghetti project last year for a group of freelancers oh that all came together to talk about this exact issue uh-huh because when they're not they're either home working alone exactly. many of writers or they were working out of their local starbucks exactly and, and which it is-, is and it is Challenging. It's challenging. On the it's, on the one hand, it could be great. You manage your own schedule, your own bus, but it can be challenging. So what are some tips that you've given these freelancers that you could give us? So what I like to do is look at my calendar and, and break it out into manageable chunks. Look, some of it's going to come be based on specific things that you need to get done mm-hmm. in a given day or in a given week. And I think many people have their own preferences whether they like, you know, when they like to do different types of more transactional work, more strategic work, you know, connecting with people. So I don't think there's any one right way to do it, mm-hmm. but I do think everybody needs a plan. Right. So when you look at a given day, you know, best practices says that you should not be looking at your emails all day, that you should be looking at them in predetermined times. You know, so Check it first thing in the morning, although some people disagree with that, but it's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Check it at noon and check it, let's say for you, at 3.30 before your kids come home at, mm-hmm. at 4. Mm-hmm. Then I would say you also want to put in a certain amount of time and strategic thinking. And, and, your, and your dings and your pings need to be off. Right. You know, people need, and, and sometimes people need to train their clients. So you, you're, you're not going to be available 24-7 because if you are, you will not move your business forward. Everybody can, there can always, unless it's an emergency and then the person can actually call you, um, you need to have certain times where you are turning those pings and rings off because it's a drain on your productivity. And I'm sure you've seen the data, but every time that you're interrupted, it takes uh, on average 23 minutes to get back into that focus zone. And so if you're focused, not focused, focused, not focused, you are just degrading the quality of your work and you are wasting time. I'm so So, glad you brought it up. Right. And I would say the last thing I would add is I would schedule in time to connect with, with people and whether that 
you know, building it around, you know, going for a walk with a mm-hmm. friend and getting, getting an endorphin rush and getting some exercise and seeing a friend, you don't need to necessarily go out for coffee. Mm-hmm. So why not combine seeing a person with, um, with, with getting some exercise. Right. And I would also urge, urge listeners to think about the number 90. There's research that shows that if you take a break, some type of a break every 90 minutes, that is the ideal way to maintain the maximum level of energy throughout the day. So if you're thinking about these 90 minute chunks, maybe Uh you do 90 minutes of strategic thinking, then you take a break, you get up, you walk around, just just keep that number in mind as you begin to, to come up with a schedule. Oh, the, I love that. I had not heard the 90 minute. I really, really like that. And I'm so glad you mentioned about the um, the time it gets us back to focus because I know we've all list, we've heard this, but but we fall we fall into it. You know, it, it really takes discipline and, and really structuring into structuring it into your calendar, like you said before. Um, it's, um, because otherwise, like you said, we don't move our businesses forward. We just get sucked into the tactical stuff and the mm-hmm. putting out fires. <laughs> yeah. Seven, 70, I think it was 70% of people surveyed say that they don't have, have enough time for strategic thinking. I would say they're not making the we're, time. We're not making you, you have, you, you have to make it a priority. Some people like to also look at their calendars and say, I am not going to have any meetings on Wednesday, yes. or I'm going to do all of my client work on a, on a certain day. Yeah. So th- again, there's many, many ways to do it. But I think if you wake up in the morning and don't have a plan, that's where you run into trouble. Yeah, 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 ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Eric, I heard you once say in another um, in a podcast that you have a strong belief about not leaving things to chance. And I loved it. Can you share that with us? It was like a life mantra of yours or something. Yeah, sure. So when I met my husband, one one of the things that he brought to the marriage was Mm -hmm. one of his favorite quotes, Mm -hmm. which is a quote by Louis Pasteur, Mm -hmm. which is chance favors the prepared mind. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was something that I really took to and I, it's just part of my philosophy in my life. I I just don't believe in leaving things to chance. Right. And so you know, it's, it's become really a family mantra. And one of my twin girls, her middle name actually is Champ. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I I love that. I really, really do. And yeah, you know, I, and the truth is, it, it, I guess the part of the reason that it resonates with me is, aside from the fact that I'm the type to always be prepared and, you know, know what's in my calendar and whatever. But mm-hmm. as I think as Jews, we really, we, we don't believe in, in chances or coincidences. And we do believe that um, we have to make a vessel prepare for you know things divine intervention to happen in our lives it's not it just doesn't it happens but it doesn't just happen it takes two to tango it takes our actions and our efforts for things to to happen you know so i i i I love that all right erica we talked business we talked freelancing let's talk marriage because i'm pretty sure we all have fallen into the trap of, yes, we might be quite disciplined in the way we interact with technology when it comes to work, we might have created systems, but it creeps up at home. <laughs> what mm-hmm. can we do? You know, what's, what's interesting is, is that the three P's, the prioritize, the positioning and the protocols, you can use those 
concepts at home. Yes. Does your calendar reflect your val- Does your calendar reflect your values? Do you yes. just you want to have a, a digital Shabbat every every from Friday to Saturday, or maybe you just want to have pockets of it throughout the week or or throughout the weekend? So to me, there's you know everything that we're talking about outside the workplace can be implemented in our home. And again, it's it's sometimes even more challenging. Yeah. One of the one of the the things that I think about and is you know that when when all of this technology came into our life, of course everybody started studying it and trying to look at the implications. One of the most well known studies um, it was called the iPhone study, and what they looked at was that if you are with a spouse or with a friend and you're out for dinner, out for coffee, and your phone is on the table, even if it's upside down, mm-hmm. just the mere presence of that phone reduces the depth and the substance of that conversation, which wow. completely makes sense. And, and I've had real relationships change because of that. You know, I'm not going to open up and share some intimate things that are going on in my life if I think your phone is just going to buzz and you're going to look away. It's, it's sort of just, just human nature. Right. So the inter- one of the interesting things is the next iteration of that study found that even if your phone is off, because everyone started taking their phone off the table, and they said, all right, but even if it's in your peripheral vision, Uh it has the same impact. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up today was that the latest research just came out this past June, which shows that you really even need to leave it in another room Mm. altogether. Uh And we just, we as humans, we cannot help ourselves. It's not that we're bad people. But it's, it, you know, every time you, you, when we used to have blackberries and the red light was on, you, you get a hit of dopamine. Yeah, we every become addicted. Check, right, we, we are addicted. And so when we think about managing this in our homes and, and looking at this data, when we are connecting with our spouse, when we are connecting with our kids, we need to have the phones in another room. We and we don't and we shouldn't feel we're not bad people. It's just that's how the technology is designed to make us continue to want more, and we can't fight against that magnetic pull. Right, right. I was thinking that you know uh, I try to incorporate into our lives having a date night with my husband because it's a good idea for any marriage. But um, you know you can fall into that trap. So what we started to do is because we can't leave both both phones in the car when we go out because a babysitter might call or whatever. So we will bring one phone and it'll stay in my husband's pocket and we won't take it out unless a babysitter calls it, you know, otherwise it's, um, but it's, it's really so, so important. And we're, we're so addicted. <laughs> it's like, um, right. And so, and so people say, well, I have to get that call. I can't, well, what? they're no. all workarounds. Right. If, if it's important to you and if you want your calendar to reflect your values, then make an effort. So maybe, for example, your babysitter has her separate ring. So right. if someone else calls, unless it's that babysitter, you're not picking it up. Right. But you have to then take the step to say, well, how can I leverage technology to create these workarounds to give me two hours where I don't have to check? Right. You know, maybe it's an important client, but again, that's still one person 
versus being available to check every email and answer every phone call. Yeah, everything from Instagram and Facebook and text and WhatsApp. My goodness, it's it's a lot. You know what I started doing that has been super helpful? I started putting a couple months ago sleep into one of my priorities. Like seriously, like I need to be in bed. That's it. No more late nights. I need to be in bed by 9.30. And I set up my phone to do not disturb the WhatsApp. After a certain hour, after I think eight or something, my WhatsApp doesn't beep. My texting, nothing. Only, unless it's my, my husband or my mother or something like that. Um, and it's been great. I love it. <laughs> like, you know, it's like people yeah. know they can't reach me. <laughs> I once woke up to um, a whole WhatsApp conversation in a group that I'm part of in the morning. And I said, said, like, people were looking for me. We needed they needed a recipe from me. And we can't find Yael. And I need the recipe. Does anybody else know it? And where was Yael? Well, Yael was sleeping because that's what I do after nine o'clock, people. <laughs> right. That's, and, that's, and that's the priority. <laughs> All right, Erica. Let's your cali right. Your calendar is reflecting your values. Exactly. Well, we're we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. And what about kids? Do you have anything that you implement at home? I guess I guess it's all the same tips. But um, anything that you do that mm -hmm. you can tell us about, since you're a mother. Yeah. Yes, I would say again, we, you have to have these protocols. And as the kids get older, the protocols change. Right. So, you know, I don't have this 100% figured out, but I keep trying. I would say a couple of our top rules are. Absolutely, you know, depending on the bedtime of your kids, the phones cannot sleep in the room with the child. Uh -huh. Because I can control when my kids go to bed, but sometimes I'll take their phones in the morning and some of their friends, I don't think they sleep. They're texting them all night. So we have um, a setup in our in a playroom where the phones must be plugged in in another room than, than their room. And I remember one of my kids says, well, how am I going to wake up in the morning? It's my alarm clock. I'm like, you're going to buy an alarm clock. Exactly. The phone is not going to be your alarm clock. Exactly. The, the second thing, which is really, really important, is, is the phones during during homework. That it goes back to the, the study that I referenced um, a few minutes ago, which is for every ping and ding that interrupts you, it takes 23 minutes to get back into the zone. And for every task that you add in terms of multitasking, it degrades the quality of your work by 20%. So I tell my kids, if your phone is interrupting your homework, it is a lose-lose. Your homework is going to take you longer and the quality will be lower. So what I tell them is it needs to go into another room, focus for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is. If you want to go check your phone, go check it in the other room and then come back and work mm -hmm. on your homework. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, those are very helpful. I know it can be challenging. I still don't, uh, my kids still don't have cell phones, but you just reminded me of a funny story that happened to me because of this whole thing with sleep and me having my phone and do not disturb. My my 11 year old son was away for seven weeks in Detroit in a camp in Detroit, Michigan. And the camp took them in a bus to New York for the weekend. And then they drove back to Detroit and they were supposed to take their flight out of Detroit um, that same morning. And so I woke up and I checked my phone, let's say it was like 6.30 in the morning. And I saw that at 5.30, there were three phone calls from a number in Detroit. And I realized it was from the camp and I couldn't get through to them. And I got very nervous. And my husband was away in Asia. So I texted my husband. I said, Masha Dove, it's been calling. Like, what's going on? Did something happen? He's like, okay, here's nervous mother. <laughs> Don't worry. It's all good. I'm going to find out. It's all, it was all fine. But then it was funny. My son realized, uh, he said, Ma, don't worry. I realized that I was calling you way too early in Houston and you, you know, you weren't going to even hear the phone ring. So, um, I guess um, that was just one of those things. But um, Erica, let's move on to some Jewish topics. Do you have anything 
Um, any traditions or ways of bringing Judaism to your home that you've been particular about, perhaps because you were brought up with them or maybe your husband brought them in along to the family or you intentionally just learned them and decided to incorporate them into your life? say the biggest thing I, I grew up um, in a reformed Jewish family mm-hmm. my parents got divorced right when I would have had a bat mitzvah so I didn't, didn't get a bat mitzvah until I turned 30 oh and really? um, so I came came late from I had a I did it along with my sister who's two years younger and then we have a half sister who's much younger so when she turned 13 we all did it together and my kids ended up going to a reformed Jewish day school. Uh And so I think it's really been through that experience that we have begun, you know, over the last 12 years since they've been at the school to incorporate many new family traditions. And again, given part of who we are as a family and that we love to connect with other families, you know, most times when we can do it, we have people over Friday night for Shabbat. That's so nice. Connect with other families. And it's just, it's really become you know, an important part of, of who we are and what we do. It's so important that time of that, those Friday nights dinner, I'm telling you, they're, they're so enriching that time of connecting. And often we have people, I don't know if it happens to you, but we have people at our table that we, we, we didn't really know so well, or maybe in another circumstance, you know, I wouldn't have been like necessarily drawn to, to them because we had maybe, I thought nothing in common. And then because we've opened them to our home, you realize that you're meeting great people and you're enriching your life by connecting with these people in such wonderful ways. Yeah. It's, it's no, re- I, I totally agree. It's really, really cool. All right, let's do some Jewish fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I say a, an open-ended sentence and you fill it with, you finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right? Ready? Great. All right, I'm Erica Keswin and I feel most spiritual when? Say when I am hiking or mm. in the outdoors, in, mm. in nature. You're a nature person. Where'd you grow up, Erica? I grew up in Connecticut, but we we spend um, one about eight years ago. We moved to Colorado for a year, and that just really changed my perspective on on being in nature. It's such a big change from Manhattan to Colorado. What a great change, though! That's wonderful. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> as great as New York is, which it is great. Um, all right, my favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is I'd say it's what I just talked about. about being part of a Jewish community and celebrating Shabbat. That's so beautiful. I didn't ask you, so what triggered um, you deciding at an older age that you would celebrate about mitzvah? Was it because your half-sister was um, going through that process, then you all tagged along or something else? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that was that was the impetus. But I think, you know, having a family that's getting divorced during a time when everybody's coming together and, and you know, becoming a bar about mitzvah, I always associated... Um, we weren't religious as much as this is a big part of our, our culture gotcha. and really de- defined family. And so not having that as a kid or being part of it, it was something that I always wanted. Yeah. And so I decided to, to take advantage of it. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? I would say it was um, both all three of my kids with the baby namings and mm. most recently my, my girls, uh, Benot Mitzvah. Oh, very nice. So how old are they now? They, they are, how old are they? They are 14. Uh-huh, okay. So we did it about a year, year and a half ago. Nice. Something I wish I'd known about Judaism growing up is? I don't know. I'll have to take a pass and go back to that one. <laughs> it's a hard one, right? Sure. 
When I give tzedakah, I like to give to? You know, we have a lot of organizations that we really feel passionate about. But I would say, given that I've had three children going to Reform Jewish Day School, mm-hmm. I've been very, I've focused a lot of my efforts there for giving money to the school for financial aid that, so that other people who want to give their children a Jewish education can, can do that. Wow, that is awesome. That is really awesome. Did you get the chance to go to a Jewish day school growing up? No, no. no. Uh-huh. I mean, we went to, we went to great, you know, public, public school. Public school. Right. I, you know, and, and we really just fell into it. My sister is married to a reform rabbi and Uh she was working there at the time. Uh And so my husband and I said, you know what, this sounds great. Let the, let the girls go to school with uncle Matthew and we'll figure it out later. And so I don't think it would have been something that we proactively would have sought out, Uh but we got there and we, and we just, we fell in love with the community, with the fact that these values were integrated into their everyday. Um, and it was combined with, with very strong secular academics. I don't think we would have traded one for the other, but we were able to get both. Right. And then the bonus, the, the bonus above all other bonuses, you know, my husband and I laugh. We always say, you know, given the gene pool, um, we would not have guessed that we would have three children that are very, very focused on sports. I have a competitive racer. I have a daughter who's about to go to boarding school to play ice hockey. Whoa. Which that's a whole, that seems like an oxymoron and from a Jewish family in New York, but it's true. And so because these Jewish values and the teaching was integrated into their school, they didn't have to go to Hebrew school. And so they had more time for sports. So it really was a win-win on that's, so many levels. And we're really, really passionate about the school and what it, what it gave to our family. That is such a great story. Yeah. And that, that's great. I love it. All right. Um, finally, I'm Erica Keswin and today I'm most grateful for my family. Oh, I love it. I love it. Erica, I so appreciate your time. Where can we find out more about your work? Tell us your website. Sure. You can go to www.spaghettiproject.com dot com or ericakeswin.com either one you can find me read read my you know the articles that i'm writing about find out where i'm going to be in the country speaking at different events and you know i would love for people to to you know send me an email i'll put them on my newsletter absolutely and and you work with with freelancers you work with nonprofits. you work with all sizes and 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 types of companies and groups right so if anybody wants to train with you that would be so so awesome such such an important relevant work i really appreciate it erica thank you so so much you are welcome Thanks, Erica, for stopping by. You can find Erica at EricaKeswin.com, and she's on Twitter at Erica underscore Keswin. Head over to JewishLatinPrincess.com for more information, and if you'd like to connect with me and let me know of uniquely talented Jewish women you'd like to have featured on the show, um, you know where to find me. We're thinking of doing many upgrades to the show, like show notes. I told you that before, working on it, and even a new segment called Ask Yael, where we will answer your Jewish lifestyle questions. So that's in the works. A lot of goodies back on the blog as well. And we're working on upgrading our Spanish site 
Um, in the meantime, you can download my easy guide to honoring the Shabbat Queen like a princess, which are practical steps to help you get to Shabbat with grace and without overwhelm. A lot of people ask me, like, how do I do it? Um, so this is these are my tips. It's free. So head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash shop and grab your copy. I'm actually just returning from speaking in Guatemala today where I led an amazing ladies Shabbaton. So grateful to have been there for the second time. Yes. And it's the new year almost. So let me know if you'd like me to stop by your community this year and run a program. Speaking to women is my thing and I would love to get to connect with some of you in person. So email me and let me know. Akativa v'chatima tova and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.